This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome a European stalwart, Ryder Cup member, and the winner of 20 professional events around the world, Barry Lane to the Sub 70 Podcast Pro. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Cool. Glad to be here. Well, let's, uh, you know, big topic in September here in the States and probably in Europe as well. Let's let's jump into the Ryder Cup if you're okay with that. Um, and we'll get yeah. to everything you've accomplished as well, but... Kind of a shift here a little bit uh, this season. You know, what was just your assessment of what you saw up at Whistling Straits as somebody who's competed in the event and been around professional golf for such a long time? Um, it, actually, the American team looked like a European team in the respect that, you know, they all seemed to get on. I know there was a couple of bits in the press you know, about DeChambeau and, um, and Kepko, but actually... If you look at all near enough, all of the team, they all play, they're all similar ages. I mean, obviously DJ's a little bit older, but they're most of them are similar ages. They all play college golf together. They've all known each other for a very long time. It's a totally different, uh, how would I put it, not set up. Um, it just seemed so different. It seemed that they were getting on. Unbelievable golfers, obviously. And I think in the next two Ryder Cups, I think that the Europeans were going to struggle. It doesn't matter how well they play. I think, uh, you know, you have basically 10 or 12 superstars playing in the Ryder Cup and we have 10 or 12 very good players. You know, we have a couple of superstars, but nothing in the respect of, uh, of the American team. I think it was a phenomenal team. It was played in very good spirit. Um, but you could just see the camaraderie amongst the players was so much better than it had been over the years. And, uh, so much talent it was amazing uh it was great to watch i mean it's obviously disappointing as a european but we've had a great run but i think we might struggle the next couple um until we get a, a new group of players coming through it's a bit like you know america you've had this this year was the new group of players everybody quite young and i'm just hoping that you know we get some really really good players we have got some very good young players but they at the moment haven't quite got the experience of uh of uh, the guys in America, you know, we, we, they play in Europe. Uh, they might play the odd major, or, but they got to get in that top fifty to get in those world events. And uh, I think that makes a huge difference because then they will play with these guys four or seven times a year, um, um, so that when the Ryder Cup does come round, they're not going to be, you know, as um, as nervous or as or, or just the just the they've got the experience. I think that's the thing. When they talk about that. You know, golf is such a selfish game at times, and they talk about the camaraderie between the players. And, and this is just, I've often wondered this, right? Does it, does it really matter, or how, how, and you're saying it does make a difference from what it sounds like you're saying. How does it make a difference in the sense that for the rest of the year, it's go out and win? And how, how does a, how does the camaraderie make that much difference when most of the time it's not about that in this game? In other words, I always thought just, you know, I wouldn't need to motivate any of my players, right? If I was the captain, they just grabbed me off the street. I'd be like, you're playing this person. Go play professional golf. Explain to me, and I think it's an interesting topic, of how it's such a big part of that week where most of the time it's, you know, you just go do your thing and, and, and play as good as you can play. Well, the thing is that out of the five matches, only one of them is you're playing on your own. So the other four matches you're playing foursomes or four boys, you're going to play all the matches. So you're playing with a partner, and that is demographic is so different. Uh, I, when I played, it was a long time ago now, but uh, you know I, I'd never played foursomes in my life or alternate shots, as you, you say in America. Uh, I'd never played that, and I thought that was really difficult to play. Um, I played. Was lucky enough in the four ball. I played with uh, with Bernard uh, Langer in the first day. And uh, four ball was fine because you, but alternate shots is very, very difficult. I just think that if you, yeah, you do play on your own all year round. And actually it's very nice to have a, a partner out there to give you some support. I know you've got your caddy and stuff, but it's, it's just the demographics is it, it, so different. It's uh, you're playing for your country. You're not playing for yourself. And I think that you, um, 
you have to rely on your team to inspire you in your team room. Uh, and if you're not, don't know these guys, then there's nobody there to inspire you. And if you are a very much an individual, I think then you'll be a bit lost in the in the in the team room. And I think that that's one of the problems why uh, you've had a big problem is that you've had two or three superstars. Uh, and, uh, and obviously nine fantastic players, but this year you had 12 superstars uh, and they all get on and they've all known each other since they were kids. And I think that uh, is, is a, an amazing thing and, and and I can see it going on. Um, they seem to enjoy themselves. They seem to know each other. They chatted, they laughed uh, all the way up the build-up to the to the Ryder Cup. They all were looking forward to it. And, you know, where in, in the past it's always been a bit, well, you know, Tiger's... He's, he tigers there. He's on a bit of a pedestal and feels a bit of a pedestal up there. And, you know, and I think that the guys may be a little bit frightened of them or, or just didn't feel comfortable. But it seemed that they all felt very comfortable this year. Yeah. And I and I was just bringing up that point to see your thought of it. I mean, there's something to it, right? Because like the great European teams, when they were on that run, you could tell they would all have fun at a pub. If you just took it down, mm. like would they have fun at a pub together? You would say yes. Those American teams from 10 years ago, you'd be like, those guys ain't hanging out. Right? You could just get no, that and sense. I, and I, yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't play that much in America, but I played uh, quite a few tournaments. But it, it, it seemed that, you know, whenever and no disrespect or anything but you know whenever I was over there it just seemed that the guys you went into a player's room you know where you had lunch and stuff and the the guys would be sitting at separate tables where you know you, you go into a player's lounge in Europe and you'd have all the Spaniards sitting together and a couple of Swedish guys in amongst them the French were sitting over there maybe a couple of English guys and the Scottish guys so everybody sat with everybody but it seemed in America people were very much individual uh, uh, and, and that's my observation, you know, 90s and the 2000s when I, you know, played a, a little bit over there. Um, it was, it was just the demographics were so different. Uh, but this year, you can see these guys, you know, even on the golf course when they're playing against each other, they seem to be happy if one of their mates wins. And I think, yeah. you know, when they're with social media and, you know, Instagram and they're tweeting what a great win by, you know, uh, um, Dustin Johnson or what a great win by a lot of the youngsters that are, that are out there playing, Justin Thomas, you know, all the guys are so happy for each other. And I think because they've grown up with each other, you know, they, they've had the, the respect for each other and they are genuinely happy if somebody does well. And I think you give it 100% on the golf course. But if you give it 100% and you didn't win, you have to be happy for the guy that beat you because he's giving it 100%. He's just played better than you that week. Uh, and I just think that that is exactly the attitude that the guys have got at the moment. And uh, there's so many, you've got, you've got so much depth in America, I think, of so many fine players. And you think about like playing with Tiger or Phil, if you haven't been on tour for a terribly long period of time, man, you wouldn't want to disappoint the, those guys, right, when you're playing in Ryder Cup. I imagine the pressure, like you said, an alternate shot would be <laughs> staggering if you're... Yeah, uh, I think so. And I think, you know, because these guys have been together all the time, they're not, you know, they're mates. So, right. you know, but when you're playing with, you know, if you're number 25 in the world and you're playing with number one in the world and you've only played a couple of stroke play events the first two days with him or, or whatever, you don't really know him. And I think that's, it's such a big thing for the Ryder Cup. I know it's a, you know, it's only once every two years and you play the President's Cup, but it's just that, you know, we don't play any sort of other tournaments where it's a four ball tournament or alternate shot tournaments, but we all know each other. Uh, and I think in the years gone by, we all travelled together through Europe. We didn't have our own private planes or, or you know, we had two hotels or three hotels for one tournament. We all pretty much flew into the same airport. We all got a bus to the golf uh, to the hotel and we were all on a bus to the golf course each day, whether it was in Madrid or Barcelona or in Portugal, in Lisbon or in, you know, any other countries in Europe. So we all travelled together. So we all had dinner together. We all stayed in the same hotel. So we got to know each other. And I think that's a big difference in America where everybody stays. A lot of guys stay at private homes. A lot of guys stay in, you know, there's so many hotels and different hotels in America. So, you know, if you don't know somebody, you're actually never going to meet them because you'll be sitting on your own having lunch. Uh, You've got your own entourage. Well, in Europe, it's not like that at all. Well, and if you're Tiger, right, the whole idea is he was never going to let a competitor in. You know, he does it now in his 40s, but in his prime. I mean, he just, he's not dealing with any other player. 
They're all beneath him no, at some level that worked for him, right? Absolutely. Could, right. Yeah, absolutely. Totally different mentality. Yeah. And, you know, if you have to have that to be the best player in the world, which he was or uh, for, for many years, and whether he was the best player ever, I don't know, but he was seriously good or is seriously good. And I hope, you know, that things turn out right for him and he can get out back out and play. Um, but it, it, he was different. Uh, you know, he, he was very focused on what he was doing. He didn't care what anybody else was doing. Was Feldo like that? And I think, pro- and I think that, and that, I think that w- would have been quite difficult for him in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, yeah. So how did Feldo do it? Right, because in his prime, he seemed like he had a bit of that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sticking my own lane, but yet he could turn it off in the Ryder Cup. It appears because his record was great, and everyone liked playing with him. So he he seemed to have a a sense of maybe when to turn it off a little bit. Is that a fair assessment to become a team player, then go back to being Nick Faldo, number one player in the world when necessary? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think he had some sort of a, uh, an idea of how to turn it off. I don't think he turned it off the whole time. Um, but he, he, you know, he, he got the job done and, and obviously, you know, I actually never played with him in the Ryder Cup. So he was on my team, but I didn't, he played with Monty that year. Um, so, you know, and, and I, you know, whether because he was, a, you know, obviously number one in the world, he was a superstar and and, and whatever. And we, and we didn't really see him that much. A bit like, you know, I suppose Tiger, he had, you know, he was in a different hotel or, or whatever. But at the Ryder Cup, he, he he seemed to be, he was himself, but he was a little bit less than himself. I, that, that's I would say that's the best way to describe him. He he was a team player for that week, and then the next week he just walked by you as if he'd never knew you. <laughs> Hey, and that's worked. true. It worked for him, right? Yeah. It worked for him. Yeah, it worked for him. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I was going to ask you about this, too. And this is maybe out in left field of an idea. But do you think the golf course setups, if you take, like, what they had in Paris, that really seemed to benefit the European team, then we make this, like, no rough, wide open birdie fest. Do you think it's starting to potentially give each home team such an advantage that, I don't know. Do you, do you do you eventually have to go back and have somebody just make it more neutral so it's not such an advantage for the for the home team? Because it seems like they're really starting to get the golf courses more than I ever remember. It's set up to your advantage, you know. And then yeah, uh, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we've got to. They, you know, it's 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 a very big tournament, and uh, and and the thing is, yeah, you've got to try and get the same. The, we don't hit it as far as you. So we would rather we. I would say that the Europeans are more accurate drivers. The golf courses that we play, are t- you know, we play in a different country pretty much every week. Um, so we play in different grasses all the time. You know, in Spain, where the the greens on the green, greens. I mean, I know you play in Florida and and, the, and California is totally different, but you know, climates and different golf courses. So the one in France, we've been playing there, the French Open for twenty odd years. We know what it's like, and we know how difficult the course is. But if you really narrow it down and make the rough really thick, it doesn't matter how far you hit the ball as long as you get it on the fairway. So the course may be only 7,000 yards. So it's not, you know, for these guys. But if you start hitting it in that rough, you can't get to the green. Where you look at, you know, where they played Whistling Straits this year, where, you know, yes, it was. if you hit it a long way offline, you could be in all sorts of trouble. But actually, the rough wasn't very thick. I remember when I played, they, they set up, the course not difficult around the greens to chip because they felt that if they met the rough really long around the greens, then it didn't give anybody really an advantage. But if it was a neutral, then if you were a good chipper, you would chip perfectly. But when it's really deep rough like US Open, it's a bit of a lottery. So they didn't want that. So, you know, yeah, I think I think absolutely that they, they definitely are setting up the courses to to um, to you know, to be favourite on one of the teams. And obviously in Europe, they they make a big effort to, to do that, uh, especially they did it in, uh, in in France. I mean, it was brutal. But, you know, you think if you think of the US Open every year, that's pretty brutal. And I think, you know, Golf National was, was, was the same. It was it was brutal, but you needed to hit the fairways. And I think the Americans went in there with a, you know, with a, a gung, gung-ho attitude that actually didn't pay off in the end. So here's my crazy idea, if I'm the captain. Do I now, let's assume in Italy they're going to set it up pretty much the same way. Does my team now change based on that golf course? So does the Ryder Cup start getting two sets of teams? Where you guys next time, if they're going to do the Hazeltine or what they did, because it's working, do you get bombers? 
right? So now do I bring in Brian? Do I look at the analytics and bring in, let's say I get six captain's picks and I want six guys who qualify. My six captain's picks are going to be Brian Harmon's and Matt Kuchar's and guys who play that style of golf. And as the Ryder Cup start to evolve where there's a, there's both sides have a, European squad and both sides have an American squad of what the advantage would be. Is the course is starting to change enough where that literally could be a thought process for a captain? Absolutely not. I can't see that at all because the thing is, is that these bombers, you know, they vomit 330 yards or something off their tee, but you know, they can hit three with 280 yards or 300 yards. And obviously a bit straighter than with that or a one iron, they can hit 280 yards. The guys can tone down if they want to. And I think that's the the thing they have to do if they're going to play a course like the Golf National. There's, you know, I remember the tenth hole is it, it's just a sh- tiny little par four. I mean, the guys could hit six iron, nine iron, or six iron and wedge into the hole. But no, they were going with a rescue or a long iron or a driver or or everything to try to, you know, get it up there close to the green. But they're missing the fairway. But if they hit six iron off the tee, so I think they have to use they have to change the mentality. That's all. They don't have to choose some guy who's quite short but always hits the fairway because, you know, he hasn't he hasn't got the shot where, okay, he might drive it 270 yards, but then, on a, you know, he might have over 200 yards to the green. Well, he's hitting a four iron into that where one of the other guys who hits it a long way is probably only hitting a six or seven. So the guy can hit a two iron in a late time where he, this guy's hitting a driver and a four iron. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. not... I think I, I don't honestly think that the, 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 the course setup would change the captain's picks, to be honest, um, because a guy who doesn't hit it very far, if he's not playing very well, it's going to be a tough, tough week. But if somebody bombs it and is not playing particularly well, at least he's bombing it 50 yards past the guy who's only hitting, you know, who, who's quite short off the tee. So, you know, that's five, six clubs into the green. So it's, yeah, I think, I think it will just, they'll, they will try to set up the course for the Europeans as the same as the Americans who USA try to set it up for the Americans. Or pick a course. Yeah, uh, I've seen we, the course that they're playing. I've seen they played the Italian Open this, there this year, and, and it looks like the rough could be very, very deep. Uh, it's quite a lot of waste, um, you know, fescue grass, like at the Open, that can grow to like three or four feet. So I don't, I don't know how they'll... They'll, they'll, they will set it up, but I, I would I would think that it would be similar to the uh, to the um, to the French. Yeah, it makes sense. If I was the European captain, that's what I would do. Look at my strengths and, yeah. and set it up for it. Uh, Absolutely. Ryder Cup pressure. You played in all. You know, you've played in majors. Is there hmm. a difference? Is that the most pressure filled event you've ever played in? And what is the, if that's a true statement? Which I don't know if it is or not. Probably depends on the player. How much different is it than? You know, uh, you know, in contention at the at the Open Championship or anything like. Does anything else compare to that level of intensity in golf? Um, I don't know why, but no, there is not. It's it's absolutely um, amazing. I, I don't know why whether you be, it is because, as I said earlier, you're playing for eleven other guys in a continent, or you know, in America you're playing for the USA and eleven other guys. You're, I don't know. It, it it is, and the golf actually under that pressure played is is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I remember feeling absolutely as if I was going to throw up walking to the first tee um, on the first day playing with Bernard, and uh, we played uh, uh, Corey Pavin and Lanny Watkins, and I mean two real real tough guys. And Corey was struggling to get the ball on the tee because he's is is he was shaking, and you know, and that gave me so much heart because. I, I thought I was going to be sick on the tee and my knees wouldn't stay still and my hands were just, it was unbelievable. But once you get off after the first couple of holes, you're still nervous, but then you're, you're playing golf. So, you know, it's like when you're in contention, you might be, don't sleep well the night before, but once you get, you get going, you're still nervous, but you're playing your game. Um, And the golf played in the Ryder Cup is absolutely phenomenal under, under the duress that you, you are, and you and you think you 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 it will never go, but you know, and it doesn't go. <laughs> it stays with his old the whole time. But it's a uh, it's it's an amazing feeling, and 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 there is nothing compared. I mean, I, I've never won the Open. I led the Open a couple of times after whatever it was coming 
close to 54 holes, I think, in Troon and, and what have you. And, and, and it's different because you're playing for yourself. But then, you know, when you're, you are still playing for yourself on a Sunday in the singles in the Ryder Cup. But it just, I don't know. There's, there's, I can't put my finger on what the reason is. But the only thing I can say is it's probably because you're playing for a continent or you're playing for a team, you don't want to let the team down. Um, but it is never been as nervous as I was uh, on the first tee of the Ryder Cup. Do you think there's a reason that's why Captain Gallagher put you with Longer, who is just... I don't think pressure ever gets to that guy. It just looks like he's a, you know, most used to. Uh, I don't a, know. I mean, I, I was, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd won the week before. I was a rookie. I was playing really well. Um, uh, and I'd played well in practice. And, and, and it's quite unusual for a rookie to go out in the afternoon. And But to play with Bernard, I mean, it was just. And, and actually, we, we had a, a little story because he, he hooked it off the first into the bushes. And I had two lovely shots onto the green. And we halved the first. And then. He hooked it into the bushes at the next and then didn't reach the green for, for two. And I hit a good shot into about four foot. And I think Lanny and Corey were about 20 foot. And Bernard did it, whatever it is, 30 foot away. And then he said, oh, you putt, he said. He said, because it's my putt, but you can putt for me. Get the birdie and then put the pressure on. But I missed my putt. And then one of them hold their putt. So we were one down. And then going down the third hole, he said to me, Barry, I'm so sorry. He said, I, I, you know, I played so much golf with you. I, I didn't, I completely forgot it was just your second hole of the Ryder Cup and maybe you know I put too much pressure on you because I'd played so poorly the first two holes he then proceeded to tell me a joke that finished on the 16th hole and I could not repeat that joke because it was so rude but it was very nice of him because he kept every couple of holes coming in and 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 carrying on this joke so uh, the perfect gentleman uh, unbelievable player unbelievable man and still obviously playing unbelievable golf at 64 it's incredible like you watch him on the champions tour it's like his body looks like he's 30 still he still hits it out there 285 290 yeah. I mean, he's incredible like the, yeah. it, he doesn't incredible. miss a beat he works no he works incredibly hard uh on his physical side and uh yeah i mean he's just uh, he's 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 different he's very very different i mean he's incredible player uh very nice man um and he's dedicated to what he wants to be the the best he can possibly and he gets the best there isn't a there isn't a round where he walks up and thinks well i could have been one shot better i don't think he does absolutely everything for the lowest score he possibly can can make to, to me it always shows how mentally tough he is to you know he's overcome the putting yips like what three times or something and you know he arguably yeah. puts as good as now as he ever has in his career in his 60s which is most guys don't do that you know that's no. he's, he's better than ever statistically i think there was that one year in the champions yeah. tour a couple of years ago he had the best putting average of anyone in professional golf that's how it's good he's rolling it. it's 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 he's amazing yeah. And I and I played with him when he had the yips, and it was it was it was just from two foot he could hit it eight foot by. I mean, it was incredible, it, absolutely incredible. And then he had the he went for the down the locked arm, and then he was just like oh, and he was shooting sixty threes and sixty twos again, you know, because he always played. He never had he never lost his game in the respect just he lost his putting. Um, but he is very very strong mentally. I mean, I remember he lost. Well, he didn't lose, but I mean, Halo in on the last in Kiowa Island, whenever that was, whatever, Ryder Cup. And then in the following week, he went and won the German Masters in Germany. Yep. I mean, unbelievable pressure he had on that last hole. And it, well, he had a, whatever it was, an eight-footer, wasn't it, or something to, to halve the match or, or whatever, and he missed that. And then um, flew to Germany and won the German Masters the following week as if, like, oh, well, that was last week. You know, this is this week. We're back to back to business. Yeah, it's incredible. incredible. Yes, same with like, uh, shows how good you guys are or how much the mental side of it is. You know, I, I've, I've interviewed Kelk a couple times, you know, and he blew up mm. in that, right, where he hit it in the water on 17 and was literally shaking on the beach afterwards like a half-nervous breakdown yeah. and yeah. couldn't stop crying. Next tournament he plays in, tied fourth, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, he, yeah I go, how, yeah. Do you, how do you just, you know, turn it back on? It's like, well, I took a week off and got myself up and I'm playing well and you know he didn't go out yeah. there and miss the cut he competed almost for a win again I think he won that later that season somewhere so it shows how the best are it's a different level right of self-belief uh, dedication yeah, yeah I think I think you know and it's also when you're not playing so well you're actually only one round from being back 
you know, you just find something and then it clicks in and you think, oh, Christ, yeah, that's brilliant. And then you, you, you're, all you're interested in is what you're doing now. You forget about, you know, what happened, you know, before. Um, it, it's, it, it's, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it, it is, yeah. I mean, you, you have to be obviously mentally tough and, you, and the golf is a game. So, you know, you get the right bounces, the wrong bounces. Um, things go well for you. Some things don't go well for you. And we can, you know, if you have a long career, you know, you you can be up there, be number one in the world, and then absolutely oblivious three or four years later. Uh, but if you believe in yourself, you'll you'll you know you still be able to play. And you know that's why you know Tiger's been incredible to be so far ahead of everybody else um, uh, when he was in his prime was just in, incredible with so many good players around Ernie and. DJ and Phil and you know all these wonderful, wonderful players who are still very good, good players, um, but he was just so far ahead, you know, to win a major by whatever he won at Pebble Beach, to win by eleven shots or something around. Like I mean, just ridiculous, incredible, yeah. yeah, ridiculous, amazing, amazing. Well, I've always said, you know, my my wife doesn't play a lot of golf, and if you went down the driving range at a PGA Tour event, from watching them hit balls, you can't tell who's a hundredth on the money list or number one, and it shows how much no. mental it is right there. They're yeah, all great. Absolutely. Right? And it just shows upstairs absolutely, of the difference. Yeah. Well, let's talk absolutely. about your game. You know, what are you, what are you working on these days? And where will you be playing most of your golf? Will it be in Japan? Will it be on the stage shore? Like, what's, uh, what's 2022 looking like? And, you know, uh, yeah. what are you working on a little here in the off season? Well, the thing is, is that uh, last year we obviously didn't play any, or 2020, we didn't play any tournaments. Our tour was completely cancelled, so we did nothing. I decided that I would paint my house um, on the outside, so I got all the scaffolding up and took me just over two and a half months to paint the outside. Thoroughly loved it in the summer in Sweden. It's amazing summers, the first summer we'd spent here. And on the last day, I was just packing up, and I fell down the steps on the balcony and broke my foot. So I actually only, for 2020, I only played 21 rounds of golf that whole year, So which wasn't very much. Came out this year really struggling at the beginning of the year. Actually played in America, played it in uh, Houston at, uh, on the Champions Tour, and then played the PGA, uh, and then I think came back for a couple of weeks, and then went back to the US Open and US Senior Open. Just the whole year has been really difficult to swing the golf club i don't know why i didn't know why but just towards the end about four weeks ago i went to see a chiropractor who didn't crack me but he got me much more mobile and i went to italy and i finished 14th in italy but i played it was very windy but i played lovely and like i said earlier you're just one round away from being back and and i'd struggled all year but it was because of my mobility i was swinging the club just with my arms i wasn't turning my body at all because i couldn't um i think after breaking my foot and being on crutches and, and stuff like that, just, you know, just lost the, the, the will to get on onto the right side on the way back. And so I was just swinging my arms. I wasn't turning my shoulders. And, and uh, it was a revelation. I actually went to see the guy today as well. Again, I went on his, he's got a machine called an ATM2. Uh, you'll have to Google it. It's like a, uh, it straps you, straps it in. So it isolates all the muscles, except for the ones you need to work on. Um, and it's been a revolution. I did three times with him, and, and literally just 10 minutes it is, uh, three times before Italy, and, and I hit a few balls the, the day before I flew to Italy, and I hadn't played for three weeks. And I came home and said to my wife, Camilla, I said, you know, she said, how did it go? I said, well, it was amazing. I hit a few balls, and I thought, what, what, what am I doing? There's something different, something different straight away. And it was because I'd been turn- I was actually turning my shoulders. So it was incredible. So now I went to see him today, and I ate a few balls on the range. And I'm just going to try and get myself a little bit fit and just trying to keep playing. I mean, it's going to be difficult in Sweden because it's so cold. The course, actually, the course is already shut now. Um, it's on temporary uh, temporary greens. But I'll try to go two or three times a week uh, and hit a few balls on the range, uh, do a little bit of putting. They've got an indoor putting arena here so I can go and hit a few putts and, and stuff and just try to keep my eye in until uh, whether we get to play in February time, maybe. Um, but if not, then it will be probably March will be my next uh, next event. Um, yeah, so just have to see. I don't know whether I'll be able to come and play in America again next year uh, when I'll be exempt, I think, maybe the PGA Championship. Um, and Japan, if it opens up for us, then I'll probably play a few tournaments over there at the end of the year. 
um, but mainly in on the EU Legends Tour. I think we might have around 20 tournaments next year, which would be great. We've only had 11 this year. So, Your, your swing changed much over the years um, based on ball or equipment. I mean, I always think guys your age had an interesting career of, you know, starting off with a ballada ball and a little wooden wood. And now, you know, say even 15 years ago, solid core ball, you know, larger driver heads, all that stuff. Did, yeah. did you have to make any changes to optimize out from where you started to where the equipment uh, is at today, essentially? No, not really. I haven't changed much at all. And actually the, the, the equipment, uh, especially the driver, uh, hasn't really I always hit the ball very late and I hit the ball very low. So I generate quite a lot of spin on the ball. So when the new driver started to come out, the, uh, uh, when the new drivers started to come out, I struggled a little bit because they want you to launch it high with less spin. And if I try to do that, then I'm staying behind it and I just don't hit it very well, but I can get it, launch it up. Um, but to be honest, because I hit it so flat, and the balls don't come out of the air quicker because they don't have spin. So it hasn't really helped me in that respect. So, um, but, you know, like you say, it hasn't really helped me. Uh, I mean, I'm still probably at the ball the same distance as I did in, in 1990, you know, with about 265, 70 yards or something. But, you know, a lot of the guys, especially I notice it now, I'm nearly 62, the guys that are coming out who are 50, you know, that they're, 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 they're hitting it up to the 300 yard mark, or if not longer. So, it's a, and it's a different, it's a different game. I mean, it's a totally different game with the equipment, I think, now from, from when we played. Uh, you know, Lang has adapted very well, um, but he always hit, hit the ball a little bit on the up. Uh, and I think the guys that hit it on the up obviously generate a lot more power uh, a lot less spin and the launch angle is higher. So where, you know, somebody like Jose Maria Elizabeth also hits the ball down. He doesn't drive the ball. He's never driven the ball very well, but he doesn't drive the ball very far. Um, so in that respect, yes, it's kept me playing because I still hit the ball as far as I used to, but I don't, you know, I was always sort of in the top 10 of driving distances where now I'm, way way down i'm average if below average if anything um so you know it's just a different way of playing with a different ball a different club a different way of hitting it yeah it's uh i'm 48 so i still started off with that old stuff and my first you know Ooh. professional teacher you know we hit low hooks with everything right that was what we yeah. did take uh, spin so off did. of it and it's i'm still old enough where it's you know you adapt a little bit but it was swing you know swing the Ooh. iron easy and you know, hit big draws yeah. with everything, and now it's sort of, you watch That's a modern right. game, it's dead straight and get it to fall to the right and hit up on it four degrees yeah. or three degrees. It's uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You're a 10-degree driver, and you make your contact at 14 degrees. Yeah. 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 Uh, where I was 10-degree 10, 10 driver, and it was, in fact, it was six. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it'll work well yeah. in the open conditions or something like that, right? There's a reason yeah, you won the Scottish yeah. Open. There you go. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let's I was going to bring that one up. What... A hell of a win for your first one. I love that event. I love that it's now a Rolex series. I think that should be an elevated event. The history, you're over in Scotland, just, you know, Scottish Open champion, right? I mean, what was that week like, and what's that one still like to know? Like, that was your first win of a of a of of an event of that magnitude. Yeah, it was amazing, really. I mean, I'd only been on tour two years. Uh, I'd not won before. I'd won a smaller tournament uh, the in 87. So, and I was playing terrible when I got there. I was playing really, really poorly. We played at Glen Eagles um, on the uh, on the King's Course, which actually where we're going to play the senior British Senior Open next year, which would be great. But um, yeah, I wasn't playing very well. I played terrible in the pro-am and I was hitting balls on the range. And Bob Torrance walked by and dear old Bob, Sam Torrance's father, and he said, hey, how you doing, Barry? I said, oh, Bob, I'm hitting it bad. I, he said, I can see why. He said, you just need to straighten your right arm at impact. He said, just straighten your right arm. And then I went out and won by three. So that was pretty much my first lesson because my boss told me when I was in a, when I became an assistant at 16 that, you know, you swing the club very naturally. Just, you know, just learn how to swing the club because there's no coach that can be on the course with you when you're playing in a tournament. And if you're not playing very well, you need to know your own swing. So, so I was 28 before I had my first little lesson. And, uh, but it was... Um, it was great. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, started off okay. And then obviously, you know, I was leading going to the last round and managed to shoot 
I think three under in the last round to win by three on, on you know, and you had so many great players of, you know, Fred Couples, Payne Stewart, Hale Irwin, you know, all these great, great players that were uh, um, playing in the Open the following week. So they came over to play the Scottish Open and it was amazing to win my first tournament there in Scotland on such a on such an iconic golf course, but on such a one, the second best tournament of the year, really, well, third, the, you know, we have the Open Championship, our PGA Championship, and the Scottish was probably, was right up there with those. So uh, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Great memories. Is it is it relief or is it euphoria or is it you can't believe it or is it a little all of it of above when it's over? You know, when you're, when you're going home, back to the hotel, holding that trophy from that event, is it a little bit of all of that of, oh, my God, what have I done? Uh, I think it's a bit of all of that. You know, you, you, you have your goals, you strive to, the first year you try to keep your card and then you think, well, okay, now I've kept my card, you know, next year maybe I can go a little bit higher in the order of merit or try to win a tournament or get in the top three. You know, you have your goals and then, you know, to win such a big tournament on such a big stage, um, just my second year out was, was it was incredible. Yeah, and, and it was all the above. I mean, it was a, amazing, nerve-wracking, fantastic uh absolutely ecstatic uh to win that tournament and and uh and, and actually people say well you know it it's you know it's great to win i said it was great to win but then you have to then refocus to, to and i think it's much harder to win your second mm-hmm. than it is your first yeah right because then you want to va- you know validate yeah. probably that first one right there's a difference of... absolutely and i think you know yeah i mean you know it's harder because you know you've won once and then you you really want some people can't get over the the fact that you know the the whole goal has been to win the tournament they've won the tournament and then it's a bit of you get a bit deflated but then you know then you've got to refocus well what do I want to do what do I want to do so you know mine was obviously to win again and I was lucky enough to win the German Masters in '92 and then I won the Swiss Masters in '93 the week before the Ryder Cup so you know that was you know uh, it took me four years before I won again. I had a load of seconds. I think I had I don't know, nine or eleven seconds. I think in in on the tour. So you know you win five six times and then have nine seconds. It could have been really really good. But you know sometimes you shot really low to finish second. Sometimes you you know I all all my tournaments. All I think all my tournaments that I won, I led going into the last round, um, uh, and I won. So uh, which was really I didn't realise until a couple. Of my brother told me a couple of years ago. He said, you know all those tournaments you won. You won them all by leading going into the last round, which was I thought was quite good because then obviously I was quite good at front runner. Yes, so, most uh, of the time um, it doesn't happen at that level, right? You, I mean, usually. No, not no. If you win your first one, you win your first one because you come from behind yes. and you don't have too much pressure but, um, to lead going into the last round and to win. But it's, uh, it's the same with the German Masters, same with the Swiss Masters. Uh, that was with Beat Sevi and uh, Jimenez actually at the Swiss Masters. Is there a different level of respect too from the players when you do back it up? And I mean, I mean, you guys all respect each other, but I mean, when you get win two, yeah. three, four, five, is it, it? There is a difference, right? Where where there's just a. a I think there's a difference if you win multiple times than yeah. there is if you just won once. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to get my card in what '86, and then I stayed on tour till 2004, in 2012, I think. So I was 52, and I was still exempt. So. Um, yeah, I mean to play all those years and uh, and still be able to play and, and and you know keep your card is a, is a, is a, is very nice I have to say. And people ask me why, and I said I think because I was a pretty good ball striker. I hit a lot of fairways and I hit a lot of greens, so I was never the best putter. But when I have a good putting week, then you know I was obviously up there or had a, had a chance. Um, but I was always pretty good. I drove the ball quite. Nice distance, and I hit a lot of fairways and a lot of greens. Where today is totally different. It doesn't matter where you, whether you hit the fairways. I think as long as you can find it and you can hit it again. And you know, most guys can hit the sand wedge 100 yards, and if it's 440 yard hole and you drive it 340, you only got 100 yards. So it doesn't really matter if you're in the rough. But it, you know, obviously does because of the control. But you know, they still can reach the greens. Where you know, I think the first the first time I ever really noticed anything was when John when John Daly won that PGA Championship, where he was going. You know, going down, Sevi said, you know, I, I have to down the fairway there, and um, I'm hitting a four iron in. He's going over there, hitting the rough and hitting the nine iron. Right. But if I hit, my, if I hit my ball on his line and he's in the rough, 
I can't hit a five iron out of the rough. Right. I can only hit a nine iron. So, you know, that was the, when the, the length thing started, I think, for the guys who were really, really long. Um, it was a different, it's a different golf course. And, and I think that's what it is now. You cannot compete unless you can drive it 300 yards, if not more. Open Championships, my favorite event in the world. Um, what, what's the two or three best golf courses from an architectural standpoint, in your opinion, in that rotation? Turnbury. But uh, I I loved Turnbury. I thought it was an amazing golf course. Um, and I think it's been redesigned and it's even better now. I think it's the best course. But whether it will go politically, whether it will go back on the rotor, I don't know. But it, Trump is just, uh, you know, the Trump Turnbury is just incredible, incredible golf course. Um, and it shouldn't be political with somebody's name on it that it won't be on the roaster. But that will probably be my my favourite. Second favourite would be Birkdale, pure, pure golf course. Um, and St Andrews has to be in there as well, my top three. Um, just just because what it is, you either, I think you love it or you hate it. Uh, I absolutely love it. It's going to be very interesting when they play next year because... They can't make it any longer, and if there's no wind, I think it will be absolutely destroyed. I think somebody will break 60. I really do. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting, not... right? Like, what do you do with it at some point, right? Unless it's going to blow. I mean, it's is it going to be to the point where that thing is going to be hard to have the regular tour out there any longer? If someone shoots 29 well, under I par? Think, well, that, well, this is the thing. If it, uh, to be honest with any of the Lynx courses, if it doesn't blow that they're not difficult to be honest because you can you know most of the guys will blow it past most of the bunkers but i think they will have to do something with the equipment i mean that's the only way or they have to take it off the roster because you know which will be a, a, a real shame but i think they've missed the boat a little bit i mean they whether well, they did to reduce the length of a driver this or something i mean that's, yeah. that's a little bit i mean just you know do something with the ball do something with the ball. I mean, I can't, you can't do anything with the clubs, I don't think, anymore now. And, and, you know, for the manufacturers and manufacturing golf clubs and set all their tools up and everything, I mean, you you know, but do something with the ball. Make it spin more or something, you know. Um, they're so far behind, I think, uh, the RNA and the USJ, in my opinion. You know, they've missed the boat a little bit and now they're trying to catch up. But just by reducing a driver's length of 46 inches, I mean, it's a bit like with the with the long putter, you know, just, you know, just make it a maximum length of 34 inches or, but then they would probably get sued by every manufacturer making long putters. So that's probably the reason why they didn't do it. So that's why they made it a rule change. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, they, they, St. Andrews, Birkdale and Turnbury are my three favorite uh, um, links courses. I think maybe because they're the fairest, you play well around there, you do, really well and some of the others you can get away with i think those you not really get away with if you way if you're wayward you, you're not going to get away with it uh, where some of the other courses you can but i think they're my favorite three favorite courses would you be okay from a rule standpoint if there was a biification where i can just use the ball that's current because i drive it 265 yards i'm not going to overpower anything and then let the elite amateurs and pros have to deal with a ball that spins more? Because I don't know if we necessarily want to like punish 15 handicaps, right? I don't want, I don't want it to do be universal. We yeah. have our own local rules. We have, we have rules on our tour that you do not have rules at your golf club. Special rules that we bring in each week for dropping a ball, you know, immovable obstructions or, or whatever. Yep. Bring, in a, bring in a ball or equipment or whatever they're going to do, or bring in a ball for the elite players so that we play on a tour with this ball and just let the manufacturers do their R and D and make the, make it easier for everybody else to play. But it's a bit like baseball. They don't give the guys aluminium bats exactly. because they'd have to change, they'd have to change every stadium in the whole of America. So they have wooden bats. It's the same with the Olympic javelin. They can't, they keep moving the handle forward. So it comes out the air quicker because otherwise they'll be pitching it in the stands. Right. You know, it's just, you know, just to tweak it, but just for the elite, not for, you know, just not for the general public. You get the kids out there with aluminium bats or whatever they're doing, you know, with a, with a baseball, you know, but the elite professionals should be playing with a different equipment to bring, you know, to keep, keep the cost down for these golf courses, to not make them 8,000 yards long, you know, just to make the game bring it back a little bit because I think it's gone 
too far. You know, you used to have guys. It's always been. It's all been an advantage. Somebody hits the ball on way, but now it's just you have to. Otherwise, you cannot compete on tour. And there's, you know, there's, 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 you know, there's a few few courses where you would be able to, you know, uh, in America where Hogan was, was um, where Hogan used to be, they play that course. That's quite a short little course. Um, there's a few of them that um, are quite short, um, but most of them are bombers. Um, and I see in Houston this weekend. I mean, it looked like a a wonderful golf course and a what ten under par one. It was great to see them struggle to try and hit the fairways. And if we couldn't hit the fairways, it was struggle to keep it on the greens, small greens, tricky around the greens. I thought that was so much more fun than guys shooting 30 under par. Yeah, I, I agree. To me, the easiest solution is just buy it. I'm with you. You have the pros or elite yeah. amateur levels have a bifurcation of the yeah. rules for the one ball. And don't give me a Absolutely. different ball. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to overpower a 6,500-yard golf course. So no. right, let it, let it be, right? And golf's hard enough. Yeah. If you look at most handicaps, they yeah. haven't gone down that much. So... Just split no, it. no, absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah. I don't absolutely. know why they just won't do it that way. For some reason, they want everyone to play under the same rules. And as you're saying, they really don't. And then, if you ever go no. watch a professional PGA Tour event, for example, they're not playing the same game, even as a good one handicap does at their home club. It's, no, it's, it's totally different. It's game. totally yeah. different. And I don't think people realize the difference of yeah. it. Right? Of it, it's not the same game. No, it's not the same game. Even, you know, top amateurs, you know, some of them obviously make it, but you, there's a few of the guys, top amateurs, but, it, you know, if you've got a plus four at your golf club playing against a tour pro, it's 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 just different. It's just, there's a different strike, I think a different attitude. Just It's just different. It's different. It, they are the best of the best. And even the guys that can't make, you know, you look at the Monday qualifiers in America, I mean, it's just incredible the who's who of golf are still trying to qualify and the scores they shoot are sixty ones yeah. and sixties and sixty twos. Four four spots. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just incredible. And these these you never heard of these guys. And that's how the depth of the talent is in, in, in the world for, for, for golf. And, but I think that a lot of it has changed because of the equipment. Before it was much more of a, you know, you shot makers game where now it's it's brought a lot of people into the game, which is great for the game, but it's brought a lot of people into the professional game uh, and it's leveled it off, I think, you know, that you very rarely get somebody that's super, super good. I mean, obviously Tiger, but a lot of the other guys are all really, really good or there's a lot of super, super good players where before you had the odd one or two who were really good. Um, but I think with the equipment and the ball, I think it's brought the whole game to the masses, but it's brought the whole professional game much closer together. Yeah, I mean, look at the scores for the Champions Tour, Champions Tour qualifying oh. school of those, was it three or four oh, spots? Like, the scores are ridiculous for Q School just to get your yeah. card out there. And, you know, you know, is it the first stage this week, is it, or was it last week? I think it's this week. I think it's this is week. It this week? Yeah, first That's week. the hardest yeah. tour in the world to get exempt on, and the scores, you know, and, those, and everyone thinks, oh, those golf courses are a pushover. No, they're not. Yeah, they're not. No, I've played in a few of those, so I know they're not. It's not easy. Not easy. Five spots and uh, um, to to get your card, and it's like any other tournament. If you're not playing well, you're never going to finish top five. It's like playing. You know, we have twenty. We have twenty-two chances in a year when we play. We might only win one. It's it's a bit like Tiger. He might play whatever it is twelve. He might only win five of his twelve. So the other seven he didn't win. And if you can imagine, he didn't finish in the top five. If one of those weeks he was trying to get his card on the tour or on a, on a Champions Tour or whatever he is, he wouldn't be getting it. And I think that's the hardest thing is that, you know, if you speak to all the guys, a lot of the guys on the Champions Tour, they said, well, if we went to the school, we wouldn't get we wouldn't get a card. Yeah. No chance. It, it, because we're lucky that we've had a great career and, and, and earned enough money to be on the, you know, all-time right. money winners or whatever to be able to play. Because basically to get <coughs> exempt, you, for, I think it's three rounds, three or four rounds, you're basically shooting five or five under par every day. Five or six hundred. Yeah, that's what's going to take played, every day. I think I played. Yeah, I played in Phoenix a couple of times there, and I think seventeen under played off something like yeah. that. You know, and it wasn't an easy golf course. That's exactly. It wasn't an easy golf course. Yes. Yeah. So uh, no, it's phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, I want to bring up one more topic because I think you played the European Tour in the eighties. To me, had the greatest cast of characters, and it was a different period of athleticism. Let's call it. There might be a few nights where. Uh, Somebody in the top ten on a Friday night still might be at the bar, 
having a smoke and a cocktail and enjoying themselves a little bit, which doesn't happen anymore. So I want to talk about a few of these great players you probably played with. And there's just, they're characters of the game. And I love that era of golf, which kind of coincides with talking about, you know, that was the basis of the Ryder Cup, you know, uh, resurgence from the Europeans, right? And these guys seem like they would be fun to hang out with back in the day. So... I'm going to throw a couple names at you, and just let me know your quick thoughts on uh, on these on these greats from that era you played in with these guys. So, um, from the uh, far east, I know you said you played with them a little bit. Jumbo Ozaki. Yeah, Jumbo. Uh, I played a little bit with him and his brothers. Um, Jumbo was not didn't really speak very much. Uh, was a phenomenal player. Uh, hit it great. He. He usually arrived in Japan. He arrived in a Rolls Royce um, pretty much every week. He had a guy, a uh, chauffeur. I think he had two Rolls Royces, and the guy would he would fly, and the guy would drive his Rolls Royce to be his courtesy car for the week. Um, he tended to stay in a different hotel, um, but he was whenever I played with him, he was very nice. But it was just mobbed with uh, thousands and thousands of people. And he was a, if, it, if there was any superstar, he was a superstar. And actually, I think he's 74 years old now. He's still playing on the main tour. He doesn't play on the senior tour. He plays on the main tour. He maybe makes one, one cut a year. But he is a legend of all legends in Japan. How good was he in, when you played with him in his heyday? Was he, he was crazy long, right? He just bombed it. Yeah, crazy long. I mean, they all teed the ball up really high and had a very high swing and hit it all. They actually hit it in the on the up in those days where we were sort of low ball flights. Um, oh, he was he was he was he was really good. I mean, he was a good player. Um, you saw that, you know, a couple of times he led the open. And he had chances to win the open and uh, was really 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 good player. Um, uh, there have been a lot of very nice, you know, good player. I mean, Aoki obviously was probably the first one to win. We won Hawaii. I think it was the first Japanese to win on the on the US tour now you've got some great players coming through now uh, yeah. it's amazing but they you know they have their own little tour they have their own manufacturers they make tailor made make different clubs there Callaway are different clubs there um, it, it's just for their their market it's, it's an incredible country to go and play I mean, amazing golf courses and very nice people and uh, uh, I really enjoy going down there and playing still I mean I played in the 90s down there and uh, I'm not Phoenix and stuff but you know I've been exempt uh, for a few years over there on their on their senior tour and it's great fun to see all the guys I play with Nakajima and Tommy Nakajima and you know uh, these sort of Ioki's now just finishing playing um, but uh, it's fantastic great to see them Colin Montgomery and they're all smoking oh are they still all smoke Colin cigarettes over there over, like crazy yeah, they're too all, they're all smoking. They're all, yeah absolutely <laughs> but you're not allowed to smoke on the golf course anymore so, uh, but uh, Monty, yeah, Monty, I've known Monty for, I actually played with Monty, um, I think it was his first tournament, I played a practice round with him in, in Leeds. Uh, uh, fantastic guy, so funny, off the golf course. On the golf course, he can be a, a bear with a sore ass, but um, off the golf course, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Um, uh, unbelievable player to win eight order of merits. I mean, I know it's... Uh, um, he's Europe and, uh, but it was incredible to see him play and some of the shots he played to win tournaments uh, was was amazing and uh, uh, fantastic fantastic bloke and, and uh, he's mellowed a lot I think over the last few years now he's obviously playing on the Champions Tour and it's the Hall of Famer and uh, um, but really nice fella but um, he can be grumpy that's for sure I think though over here now we kind of like him a lot like you went from people didn't yeah. like Monty. Like I, I'm always been such a huge golf nut. I always loved his golf swing and what he did in Europe. You know, you don't win eight of them in a row without greatness. I mean, yeah. to me, he's greatness. No, um, um, but yeah, I think no. the American public now loves Monty here. He goes to all of our national parks. He posts pictures on Instagram with cowboy hats when he's in Texas. Like I think everyone over here is yeah, warming he, up to him. Yeah, but he drives everywhere. Yeah. He doesn't fly. Exactly. He hates flying, so he can drive from west to east coast, and, and he stops in little motels and everything. No, he's, he's a good guy, Monty. He's a good guy. Yeah, I think we're we, we've kind of embraced him over here now. He's kind of beloved, so um, you know, it's it switched good. a little. Uh, one of my favorites from this uh, era, Sam Torrance. Um, Sam, uh, a legend, a legend in his own lifetime. Sam, uh, a really phenomenal player and a very very nice guy um sam you know smoking his roll-ups and uh, always always put his pencil behind his ear because he one day he 
put his hand in his pocket to get the pencil right up his nail. That's the reason why he always put it behind his ear. Um, was was always great to me, great to the youngsters when they came on tour. You know, he won whatever twenty five times on our tour. It was Ryder Cup captain, Ryder Cup winning part. I mean, he did everything except win a major. And uh, I think uh, he's still very much loved by everybody. He doesn't play so much. Well, he hasn't played for about three or four years on our tour. Um, still see him now and again. He does a bit of commentary, but uh, oh, just just a, a great guy, a great guy. His commentary is fantastic. It's like he knows he's got a lot of knowledge. Yeah, but he's he's also okay with being quiet and letting it just mm-hmm. come to you, and then he'll make his little comment. And I mean, it's just oh, I think he gets it a hundred percent. I love his style of when you're watching the European feed over here of of his commentary on professional golf. Man, he's that is my style, and he just seems like he'd be a first class guy. Like I'd like to have a beer with that guy in a pub one night. Like it'd be fun. I'd have to imagine. Absolutely. Oh yeah, but maybe not just one. <laughs> Or I'll have three with him. Uh, <laughs> talent, right? Ian Woosnam. How how good was that in its heyday of ball striking and just raw natural talent? Yeah, was he was phenomenal. He still is. I played with him actually twice in the last two weeks. We played uh, um, in the UK the last round. And then I got drawn with him the first two rounds in in Austria. Phenomenal, and he's actually playing really nice. He's had a surgery on his back um, to fuse some things in his back and. This last few weeks he, he we, that we played, he was hitting the ball beautifully. Um, phenomenal, was he? Again, you know, was came up from a little place up in North Wales and came on the scene around my time just before me. I've known him since about 83 because he used to come and practice at our golf course. Um, and he travelled in a in a mobile home to... Uh, well, it's more like a caravan, really, than a mobile home. And uh, him and DJ Russell uh, travelled around. Um, phenomenal. I mean, just incredible ball striker, an incredible player. I mean, just, just, it just, it's hard to describe how how good he was. I mean, and still now, he's. I mean, the the the, the sound off the club is it's like a gunshot. Uh, I took a video about three weeks ago of him and, and, and uh, in Austria. It was just phenomenal how, how well he played when, when he played. Uh, and he's starting to enjoy it again now. So I think uh, look out for him next year. I think he's got his uh, looking forward to playing. He's not feeling, his back is feeling good. So I don't know whether he'll come and play on the Champions Tour because he is exempt. But I don't know whether he'll come and play. Um, I think he enjoys playing in Europe with a, with his friends. I think maybe if Peter Baker gets his card, he's gone over there. He's a very good friend of his. Maybe he'll come back and play in the Champions Tour. I think he misses the camaraderie of uh, you know having a few beers with the guys. Another one that would be okay. I want to have a beer with Sam Torrance, Andy, and Woosnam. That would be three yeah. or four. That would be a good <laughs> yeah. stories of the evening. Um, and his yeah, golf swing evening. to me was just always so efficient. Right? There's just like no waste in motion. It was like a piston where it's just so neutral. The club is in a beautiful position to strike the ball. Strong. Yeah. Oh, gosh, right? Like, that it's golf cool. swing is just, it's still modern. I mean, right, you could take that swing today, and it's still that modern hard body rotation. You know, there's just no wasted motion in that. No wasted motion. No, and he's strong. He was so strong, and he still is. I mean, he gets some enormous drives when I played with him the other week. I mean, just, but, and he's smiling, so it's good to see. I mean, a great guy. He's always been a great guy, but. Uh, a phenomenal player. Yeah, absolutely, his heyday was amazing. But still is, and a great guy. A lot of respect for was Sandy Lyle. Right? Was there anybody when he was on who played better in that era? I don't think so. I mean, Sandy had his own way of swinging the golf club, and 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 his own way of playing, his attitude, and uh, and he's never changed his attitude. He's still happy go lucky, but phenomenal player as well. You know. I mean, I think you know it's yeah. It, I think. It's a shame that a lot of the guys didn't play a lot more in America in those days. It was, you know, it was quite difficult to get into America. Uh, now, you know, I mean, I know they did play over there, but you know, it seems that you know you're getting a, quite a lot of the guys going to play full time. You know, Shane Lowry won the Open, obviously. Rory's over there. There's another guy called Ra who's going to come over and play. And and I think you know we didn't really have the opportunity to do that. Um, and I think you know we have some really good players now, but Sandy was just, he could hit anything. He could hit any shot. I mean, that shot he hit in the Masters. I mean, that was just just him, you know, and his hat was halfway across his head. And, you know, it just it's just him. He just played. And, and I think uh, 
was just phenomenal. He hit it so far. I mean, so far. And he just, you know, just stood up there and hit it and walked after it, found it and hit it again. I don't think he really knew how he did it. He just did it. Yeah, people said, like, when, you know, when the right moment was there, he what might have been, when on, the best of that kind of great generation, mm. right? When he was really on all eight cylinders from guys that said, it said he hit it so far and was such a natural talent, but it could kind of come and go yeah. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think he knew exactly how he did it. He just did it. And I think then he got a little bit into the swing thing and lost it and then came back again. And, but yeah, he was, he was, you know, we, there was some, I mean, was he and him were, were phenomenal. I mean, obviously Sam was was very good, but you know, you got Faldo, you got so many Seve and Lazabel, all those, so many good players. But Sandy was was, I think Sandy and Woozy were the the best two, to be honest. I mean, Faldo obviously proved that he was amazing with, with five major championships. But to play with, you know, your, my dream, my dream four four ball would be myself, Seve, Woozy, and Sandy, because you would get everything then. <laughs> Well, we can't, we can't end this with my, my last one was Seve. So, I mean, yeah. you know, even over here growing up, you, you, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist as a 10-year-old to watch that guy on TV and go, whatever that guy's selling, I want to buy it, right? I mean, yeah, it just came yeah. through the Incredible. television of looks and charisma and, and attitude and handsome and, yeah. oh, he just looked good on the yeah. golf course, didn't he? I mean, yeah, he did. He, I mean, it looks like he was born with a club in his hand. He just looked so comfortable. And, and, and I mean, it's just so nice that we've got so much um, footage of him swinging the golf club. Um, but a lovely fellow again. He did, you know, whenever he walked in the, in the, in the players' lounge, everybody turned around. He just, you knew he was there. He had a presence, uh, uh, something, something. And he was always great to play with. Uh, you know, he, he, he did play little games with you. You know, a little bit of mind games if he wasn't doing great, and but he was he did it in in a nice way, and and just but just you know you got drawn with him, you were just so looking forward to playing because you knew, however he played, he would do something special, and every round there was a shot that you think, well, I could never do that, <laughs> just it, it just amazing, and he he was very nice. You know, if you played well and or if you won or, or whatever and you were in his company and he would always, you know, say, well done, great to see. And, you know, and, and I actually played with a friend of mine the other week, who, who, another pro, and, and, and that we played in the pro-am together. And, and um, that was a nice story because the, the guy said, oh, how was he? And, and I said, well, it was amazing, really. I said, he, he, uh, he, when, he, when I won in Switzerland, I beat him by a shot. He chipped in at the last hit it from behind a swimming pool. I said, just short the green, chipped it in. But I won for a, a birdie 17. And he said to me in the prize game, he said, oh, Barry, you're so lucky, huh? I said, what do you mean lucky? He said, oh, you old long putt on 17. I said, what about you on the 18th? He said, oh, no problem for me. <laughs> so he was, you know, it was never anything. And he said, yeah, he said to Roger, that my friend said, uh, yeah, I played with him and I wasn't having a very good day uh, on the Friday. And he came over to me on number 13. He said, she, you you birdie the last four hole. You make the cut. You make the cut. You you try. You've got to try. You've got to try. And then he Roger birdied three of the last four holes, and he made the cut. The mark. He said, "See, I told you. You need me to caddy for you. Give you some energy." <laughs> so you know he was that sort of. You know he's encouraging the other guys to play, to fight, to make the cut, and it, so he he cared, and it, and and he just. Oh, he's so sorely missed. I tell you, he's, he, he's, he was just fantastic, and and uh, um, so so lucky to have been able to play through his prime and with him many times, and be in his company. And very funny man, and uh, uh, lots of stories. Uh, some I can tell, and some I can't. <laughs> it, best is it the best short game you've ever seen? Uh, the best, best by far. Never carried anything higher than a fifty-four degree, he and he could hit. A, and he, a, I remember doing it. Uh, 54. 54. He did everything. Yeah, never had anything higher than a 54. That was never. He wanted to out. He wanted to ban 60 degrees. He didn't want anybody to have a 60 degree wedge. He said you can do every shot with a 54. You just need to learn. But I did an exhibition with. They did a company day for him down in. Actually, it was in Sweden, and uh, he. Uh, we did a little thing in the bunker, and we said there's no point us hitting shots. Seven, you hit, and I said I hear you can hit a three iron, and he and he hit three bunker shots with a three iron uh, and the flag was literally 12 feet, maybe 13 feet out of the bunker and not one of them went past the hole. 
it was the most unbelievable thing. I mean, his feet were aiming. I mean, honestly, they were 50, 60, 70 yards left of So it was basically playing it off the back foot with the club face aiming at the target yeah. and the feet, you know. It was it was amazing. And, and to actually catch it, and he catches it and said, I just catch it off the toe. Just a little tiny bit of the three iron on, on the toe and he digs it in, toe end first. It just, oh, it was just, it was just, we just were in awe. When we didn't have video cameras, you know, I mean, if we'd had, had mobile phones, it would have been amazing. But, you know, it was only early 90s and stuff. So, you know, nobody was videoing or anything. It was just incredible. And and just, yeah, just uh, just amazing, amazing game, amazing player, um, unbelievable charisma, so smart, but was very encouraging and, and, and uh, you know, wasn't a loner or anything like that. He'd always come and sit and have lunch with you and chat and how you doing and, Lovely. I mean, lovely. Well, the other cool part is that, you know, I've interviewed know, like maybe 100, 100 players or things that are on this, in this podcast, and some of the, the guys who are on the Champions Tour now, when he would come over and play in the States, he would give them short game lessons. He was that generous oh, with yeah. his time. Yeah. Like Tom Pernice Jr. talks about, he worked with Seve all the time, and Seve was that generous of, no, 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 Tom, you don't do it that way, right? You know, and, and then he worked with people all the time, and he was that big of a superstar. It's crazy, right? Yeah. He, he, he said he was awesome. You don't get that anymore. Awesome. No, he was. And, and that was the thing. He was so approachable. And, he, you know, you knew full well, if you went in a bunker and he was in the bunker, he would come over and have a little look at you. So if you ever had any problems, then just make sure you were there when he was in the chipping. Because you could ask him, you could say, Sebi, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you have a look? Yeah, no problem. And he would come and have a look. He said, well, this is the way I do it. This is what I see. And whatever you give his, he give you his thoughts, you know. I mean, it was you know for, for number one in the world superstar to come over and say, you know, you could ask him at lunch and say, you know, are you going to chipping? Oh, we'll go now. Come on, we'll go yeah. now. You know, and he'd take you from the place land to give you a lesson. That's what I've you know, heard. That like he'd be really very happen. generous with his time, even to the American players. Yeah, anybody. He didn't care. He's you know everybody gave him a bit of a rap for the for the Ryder Cup, and he was very determined to beat the Americans. I mean, he loved to beat the USA in the Ryder Cup, but he had no, he was never um, begrudge anybody beating him or, you know, he, he, he wanted to win and he wanted to win at any way he possibly could. But when the Ryder Cup was over, poof, that's it. We're now back to individual. I'd love to play there. Oh yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. No problem at all. Do you want a lesson? Yeah. Nicest guy you'll ever meet. Total that's legend. Just- well, I can't thank yeah. you enough for, for this time. I'm hoping you get your uh, – I know you were looking at maybe trying to win for the fifth decade, which would be very cool. So we'll be watching <laughs> next be season. Nice. Yeah, that would be cool to have. I mean, that would be a pretty yeah. damn good run there, Pro, if you get them in five yeah. decades. So, you yeah. know, hope yeah, you stay. I want to two, two, two in, two nineteen, and then we had that year off, which was a shame. So – but, uh, no, I'm looking forward to getting back into it next year, absolutely, uh, especially this last few weeks. So, uh, But thank you for inviting me. It's very kind of you to, to even uh, consider me, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much.